When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Podcast One Production. Yeah! Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. If you've ever watched the CrossFit Games or you've watched the CrossFit documentary on Netflix, you'll know that elite CrossFit competitors are simply unbelievable. They're so strong, so fit. They train not only to compete at one discipline, but any discipline in any sport that's put in front of them. Kara Saunders has been at the top of this game since 2012. She's been the fittest woman in Australia five times and she was the second fittest in the world in 2017. Kara's had an unusual path to professional sport, though. She wasn't your typical standout sports star in high school, and she actually quit all sport in her teenage years. Now she's forging her own path in sport, including making a comeback to competition as a new mum after welcoming her own little girl, Scotty, into the world in 2019. Kara's story starts in the suburbs of Brisbane. Take us back to little Kara when she was growing up. What was little Kara Saunders like growing up? Little Cara Saunders, I guess, um, was actually an only child for a really long time. So um, I, it was just my mum and I for the majority of my life. So I was super independent, always, you know, playing sport and just getting involved in whatever I could. And yeah, I think that was pretty much me in a nutshell, to be honest. I was always swimming. That was my sport of choice as a little girl. And mainly because it was also a bit of a babysitter. I lived across the road from my school and my swimming club. So uh, when my mom had to work, it was the safest um, and most positive and productive way to keep me busy. I only had to sort of cross one one street by myself and I could get myself to swimming training for a couple of hours and it was positive and made me tired and happy and <laughs> all of those kind of things. So I spent most of my time doing that and then, you know, at my grandparents' house and going to school and I just lived a pretty basic but good childhood, I guess. I love it. Mums will do anything so that they, their kids will sleep at night and swimming is one of them that, that just tires them oh, out completely. Totally. Were you good at swimming? Did you do it competitively? Yeah, I did. Look, uh, you know, as an adult now, I've only maxed out at five foot three. So (laughs) I was never going to be an absolute professional, you know, swimmer. Although I didn't know that at the time. I had aspirations of going to the Olympics and being the best there ever was, uh, which I think is a really good thing. And so, yeah, I did really well. And then I actually stopped swimming when I got into high school. I think I swam a little bit into my first year of high school. So back then we started high school in grade eight. I would have still Mm. swam through grade eight. And then uh, I 
threw in the towel and kind of just lived the difficult teenage girl life for a couple of years and didn't <laughs> swim anymore, to be honest. Take me to that difficult teenage schoolgirl life. What was that life? You know, defiant teenage girl, a little bit lost, a little bit confused, not knowing who I am, what I want. Um, I sort of didn't grow up with much, you know, like I mentioned, it was just my mom and I, and we didn't have a lot of money and she worked really hard. And she did work really hard to send me to this private all girls school, Mm -hmm. but it was a little different than what I knew. Most of the girls' families had a little bit more money than we did. Um, And then when I got to that school, I realized pretty quickly that I was a little bit different and that how I had been raised was a little bit different. And that being good at swimming and being how I was stood out uh, and it wasn't necessarily super well received all the time and Mm -hmm. I didn't like at that point in time I didn't want to stand out uh, because Mm -hmm. I was different. So yeah I just stopped and tried to do whatever I needed to do to kind of fit in and you know Mm -hmm. be liked or whatever it is all the silly things that go through a teenage girl's head and I did that pretty much through my entire high school years and gave my mother grief. I kind of spent most of my time just not really doing anything too productive. I didn't play sport anymore. I didn't do the things that I loved and that made me happy for that sole purpose alone, which obviously now I realise is totally insane. But Mm. also if I hadn't have done it, I wouldn't have then gone back to what I knew and appreciated it the way that I did and then ended up how I have. I want to get into CrossFit very soon, but I just want to pick up and ask you about your mum. You say she was a she was a single mum when, when you were little. Hmm. What impact did your mum have on your life? Whatever was a struggle, she kind of made normal. And hmm. so it was all I knew. Um, she also really had to hold me accountable for my work ethic from a really early age because it was just her and I and she did have to work so much. So, you know, if it was like, look, I'm working late. Um, at the time she was a chef by trade. And so it would be like kind of crazy hours. Mm. I'd come home from school and she's like, look, dinner's on you tonight. Like I'm going to be at work. And Mm. she would teach me how to do what was safe for me to do while I was at home. And, Mm. um, you know, didn't matter if it was basic or whatever, but how to, how to, have it be healthy and how to clean up and how to do those things. And she kept me accountable for those things and to understand that things need to be done no matter what, no matter if they're a little bit hard and no matter if it's different than what other people do, that doesn't matter because this is just how we are. And um, yeah, for that, I'm super grateful that that work ethic came from, from that time and from her teaching me that you know, the show goes on. We need to still get things done and you can't sort of sit around and feel sorry for yourself or anything like that. You just have to do what you can with what you've got. You seem to me the kind of person that would be, I don't have any regrets and whatever happened, happened for a reason. But saying that, do you wish that you'd stuck with sport during those difficult teenage years, knowing now the benefits of of what fitness and sport has given you? Yeah, totally. Like you're, you hit the nail on the head in the way that I am mentally. And I truly believe that everything that happens is just a stepping stone to sort of where you, where you need to be. And I think if I hadn't have stopped, I wouldn't have started and appreciated and loved it. And then I probably wouldn't have been a professional athlete. So you're right. Like I definitely don't regret it in that sense, but obviously now I have this great understanding of how incredibly positive physical activity is for so many reasons, Mm. um, for the social aspect, for your health mentally and physically. And I am sad that I didn't get to enjoy that side of things. I should have, I wish that I 
I had have been able to push those things aside and maybe just make some different friends in the sporty groups, um, <laughs> you know, and and just done what made me happy and not worried about what people think and not allowed myself to feel uncomfortable because I would have reaped the reward of being physically active that whole time and, and that camaraderie and uh, it probably would have prevented me a few like other heartaches and insecurities and things mm. like that. So, you know, and I mean now I have a baby girl and that's in the forefront of my mind mm. is like to try and encourage her to grasp that and have that opportunity that I couldn't see at the time so mm. that she's able to benefit from that. Mm. Were you muscly as a young girl? Because you're so muscly now and I love, I love muscles and I love how muscly you are, but what was it like as a young girl for you? I was very muscly and it came with a lot of challenges. I'm quite stocky, you know, like I'm short and I was naturally, like you look at photos of me as a toddler and I had like muscular definition and now <laughs> even looking at my one-year-old, she is the same. Like it's, I have a strong sort of genetic background in my family. My great-grandmother was a diver, like she has these strong Ooh. legs and, you know, we're, we're all like that. So it was kind of normal to me and my family, but not so normal, you know, with all the other little mm. girls, you know, at school <laughs> um, and being more muscular than the boys. And so it had so many challenges, again, because you're different. You know, I was constantly questioned um, by people going, why, why are your legs bigger than the boys? Why? And I'm like, mm. I, you know, I don't know. I never knew anything until probably um, like later on, sort of like late primary school, early high school. Mm. But I do remember my mum making comments. So I would go to these swimming meets and I looked different and I had my, my one piece on and, you know, I was super jacked. I was obviously, I was muscular and then I trained for hours a day and I was a super active kid so I never, ever stopped. Mm. And I had these big legs and these little guns and, you know, just like little shred kid. And um, these other mums, I remember this one time being at a swimming meet and these mums like, it was sort of like saying little nasty remarks to my mum about how mm. it was inappropriate, the lengths that a parent will go to and what they'll do to their child to oh, have no. them win. And my mum, like full lioness mode is like, you know, kind of stood up and she half made a scene and we left in a hustle, like, you know, just going like, how dare you say this kind of thing. Yeah. And I had no idea what was going on. Something that she explained to me later on, years later. So she um, shielded you. She protected She shielded me yeah. like she didn't want me to think that it was a deal. Because um, yeah. obviously I didn't know. I was just really happy and I just loved doing what I did. And how I looked was, that was never something something that we ever talked about in my home. It wasn't, mm. oh, anyone's too skinny or too fat or too tall, too short or muscly or not muscly. It was just like, are you happy? Do you like those clothes? Do you like what you're doing? That's all that matters. So yeah. I didn't know. But then, yeah, getting into high school, I remember someone, it took one person to make a remark to me and go like, why are your legs so big, blah, blah, blah. And everyone was like, yeah, and they would all say something. Mm -hmm. And from that minute, I would do anything possible to not turn up on sports day because I didn't want to wear sports shorts no. or skirt because they were too short and people would see my legs. Oh, so no. I would... And now they're your greatest asset. I know. And I'm like, I loved sports day. Like I loved yeah. playing sport, but I would literally wag school because I was too stressed that people were going to make comments about my legs in my sports skirt. So I'd only want to turn up on the other days where we wore a formal skirt past a knee so that no one made comment. Mm. And, you know, now I'm like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I'll wear short shorts for as long as I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, these legs are strong and they're awesome and they've done cool things. But 
I didn't understand it. I didn't know why people made comment about it. And yeah, it made me super insecure for quite a while. And it wasn't until I found my sport, until I found CrossFit, where the way I was built actually had a lot of value Mm. and it achieved really great things. And then people thought, oh my gosh, you can do things that other people can't do. And then over time, I finally realized like, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay to be different because now I'm also different in a really cool, exceptional way. How did you discover CrossFit then? I graduated high school and then I turned 18, did all of the things that you do when you turn 18. So I was going out, you know, clubbing and having a good time with my friends and, you know, all of the things that come with that, which is like drinking alcohol, eating junk food, (laughs) sleeping in until 11am. And I worked, I always worked from the second that I was old enough to. What was your first job? What was the first job? My first job was at Baskin Robbins ice cream. (laughs) Um, I I had also, you had to be 14 and nine months, right, um, before you could get a job. And I had all of my resumes made up ready to go for that exact day because I wanted to, you know, we didn't have much money. So I knew that if I got a job, I would be able to do more things that we I couldn't do currently if I could mm. bring in some money. So um, on that day, I walked up my street. I lived in Kedron in Brisbane and I walked up the street and I pretty much handed out my resume to everywhere that was in a safe walking distance from home. And uh, I came away a couple of days later with a job at Baskin Robbins. I and, love that. You're a um, It's all about what you're putting into your body, but your first job was in an ice I cream parlor. Awesome. I know. Eating awesome. ice cream every night when I'd finished shift, <laughs> like, you know, you have to do that. Um, so yeah, then I was doing all of those things. Um, you know, going out and I came home to my mum one day and it'd been like a couple of years of just sort of working and part-time studying and just going out, living my young life. And I said to my mum, look, I've kind of reached this point where I just don't feel really good about myself right now. I don't feel good about my body image. I don't feel good inside. Like I don't feel healthy. I don't have a lot of energy. I'm not really sure where I'm going. And I said, I don't know where to start. Um, I just kind of feel... I feel a bit lost. Um, like I don't have much direction and purpose and, you know, and I don't have a really great self-esteem right now because I've been going out being silly and I feel a bit gross. And she said, look, let's just start. She'd been going to the gym, just a regular gym. She said, why don't you just start, come to the gym with me. It's really positive. I've got a personal trainer. You can go and see him and he will help keep you accountable. He's really good at that. He'll, you know, call you if you're not showing up and all those kind of things. And you can come and train with me. And that will be a start because it's a healthy habit. You have to turn Mm. up and um, be accountable also to someone else and you have to pay for it. And I said, done. Straight away, yes, done. I turned up to that gym every single day. I just did me. I stopped going out with all of my friends and said, I'm just kind of like doing me for a while. Uh, I'm not going to worry about boys or, you know, drinking or partying or doing whatever. And I went to that gym and it it did just that, just moving, you Mm. know, it did it straight away. And that personal trainer at the time found out about CrossFit and said, hey, I know you love this and you turn up every day, you're super dedicated. You know, I didn't have a car, so I would run like 5Ks to the gym and then do my gym session and then like run home. And he said, I think you'll really like this. It's super challenging, really different every single day. Hmm. Showed me a couple of workouts and I was like, oh my gosh, this is for me. I love it. It's so mm. hard. I'm ruined. It's challenging. You know, I it's, it's stimulating my mind at the same time as my body. Let's do this. And I went and watched an event, uh, like a live event of these people kind of throwing down and they were super rowdy and they had their shirts off and it was just like intense, crazy exercise. Mm. And I was from that moment on, there was no gym in my area at the time, no CrossFit gym. I went online, I followed the CrossFit.com program with 
next to no equipment. I would run around my block and try and teach myself how to do things at my home, underneath the deck at my mum's house. And I trained myself for 12 months, about 12 months. And um, and then a CrossFit gym opened up close by and I was there day one and I turned <laughs> up every single day and loved it, never looked back. So straight away you're attracted to the competitive side of it? Yeah, it was just, I think it was just the, um, the variation and the challenge, mm. just the constant. There's a lot of skill. There's so many moving parts. You know, you'll lift weights and then do gymnastics movements and then you'll run and row and ride. Some are short, some are long. Like there was just so much that yeah, I could sink my teeth into it mm. and it was a physical challenge, but it was definitely that, that mental stimulation at the same time that I obviously was craving mm. and it, it filled that void for me and it gave me some kind of purpose because I would learn a new movement and I would be terrible at it and then I'd have to keep turning up and learn new pieces to it and then I would get better mm. and then there'd be another one and and again it just it gave me a little bit of of purpose and something something to be challenged by and something to get better at and that was what I was really missing and I think that's what people like people in general need that. So when did you start your first competition then? So I entered uh, the CrossFit Games, which is like the Olympics of CrossFit. I was about to say, um, for those who are not familiar with the CrossFit environment, take us through that. How do you get to the the Olympic Games of um, CrossFit, which is the CrossFit Games? Yes. Yeah, so there was mm. essentially a two-stage qualifying process that would get you to the CrossFit Games. The first one was called the Open Anyone in the world could participate. You would sign up online, uh, you would do it in your gym and you would be judged by someone else and you would submit your score and then the top, however many, would then go to the next stage, which was a regional competition, which was essentially like a nationals. Mm -hmm. And then you had to place pretty much on the podium and then you would get a spot to go to the CrossFit Games and then it would be, you know, the top uh, 40 or whatever men and women in the world who had made it through. Pretty much like you could do it. Anyone could do it. Mm -hmm. My mom can do it. My grandma can do it. Anyone can. Mm. So everyone around the world who would do it, a lot of people do it just for fun, just to participate with their local community, which is exactly what I did the first time. So it was 2011. I had only been doing CrossFit a few months and they said, hey, there's this thing called the Open. Uh, do you want to do it? It's one workout per week for five weeks. Mm -hmm. And you submit your score and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Sounds fun. We get to do it on a Saturday. We're going to have a barbecue afterwards. I'll do it. <laughs> um, most of the things I just didn't even know what I was doing. I was still learning. It had only been a couple of months. And I qualified for the next stage and I thought, oh, that's weird like I didn't I didn't know that that was even a thing like keep keep in mind it was still early days it wasn't as popular as it is now mm. I went to the regional competition which was in uh, Sydney at Sydney Olympic Park I competed oh my gosh I was so stressed I like got a sore back because I didn't know how to do things properly yet and it was all over the place and I finished 19th so I didn't get a spot to the CrossFit Games Come around 2012, I entered the Open again. I thought that was really fun. I'm going to do that again. And I came fifth in the country. Wow. And I was like, oh, I got good at this. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, I've just been turning up to my classes. I did quite well. I went to the regional level and I won first in Australia. And wow. I was like, what on earth? How did I just fluke that? The whole time I was like, I've just fluked this. I don't know how. I don't know what's <laughs> happened. I've qualified for the CrossFit Games by accident. Wow. And that's pretty much where it started. And then I went again the next year and I won on purpose. And then I just kept going Winning. and kept going to the CrossFit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I kept going to the CrossFit Games and I just kept getting a little bit better on that worldwide leaderboard every year and just working my way up slowly. And take us through, um, for those who aren't familiar with CrossFit as well, just um, at the CrossFit Games, what I find so interesting is that you don't know 
the event and what's going to be in that event until what the day of that you're competing it, and you compete what for four is it four days straight yeah so it's usually about four days it's changed over the years but it mm-hmm. is average it's about four days and yeah we might know say on average there could be anywhere from say 10 to 15 events over those mm-hmm. um four days and we might know a couple of them uh, a week before, that's probably the soonest you would find out about. You might know two. Um, and then as they go, they can pretty much notify you of what the event will be at their discretion. Mm. So pretty much by the by the last day, you're finding out the workouts an hour before or mm. 10 minutes before. Like it's really, really short. Some are like a full hustle. And we're not just and looking then, gym workouts. They can be a run, swim, run or a... Yeah, it could be a triathlon. Bikes. So yeah, we, um, you know, I think it was... I'm going to say 2018, uh, which would have been my last competitive year before I had my baby girl. We were pretty much given two days notice that we'd be doing a marathon row. So that's 42 kilometres on a Concept 2 rower sitting still. And like, that's not, you know, you need to be fairly prepared for that. Like nutrition, hydration, just body conditioning. That was one event, you know, and we did a lot of other very varying um, events in that week. So yeah, we do a lot of crazy things. We have no idea what we're going to do, but the idea is that we do our CrossFit strength and conditioning program and we try and make ourselves capable of just about anything. Short, fast things, long aerobic things, heavy things, high skill things. We need to be pretty much just like super men and women and be physically capable of achieving almost anything back to back at different times. Wow, that's insane. That's hard to train for. But like you said, you train so that your body can be able to do any sport. What What's the sport that you struggle with the most? The hardest things that it uh, for me to build were uh, the gymnastics element. So obviously I came from like a swimming background. So um, it was very like single modality. There's not a lot of coordination or crazy skill. You know, it's mm. very just go. I was also more of a sprinter and very power based. Um, and then, you know, even in school, I was just built the way I am. I was just much better at like very powerful, you know, power output um, elements. Like I could sprint 100 meters, but I was not so good at across country, for instance. Um, mm. So, um, yeah, those those two elements. So gymnastics, having to use my body weight skill, they're usually favoured towards smaller people, mm. um, not as heavy as I am. And I've always been really heavy. Um, and then the aerobic con- conditioning side of things. So think like longer time domains with a lower intensity. So going for an, a run for a few hours mm. versus, you know, a, a 100 meter sprint, you know, I could be quite powerful in those things, but then those slower ones, they've taken me a very long time to condition my body to learn how to survive at a lower energy output for a longer period of time. There's a, there's a real art to conditioning that. And lifts and powerlifting is obviously, are they your favourite? Not necessarily my favourite, but definitely the thing that my body took to a lot easier. Mm. Um, You know, I've got short levers uh, and I am naturally quite strong. So I picked up Olympic and powerlifting quite quickly. Mm. And so that was satisfying. Um, And you have to have that kind of balance between, you know, the ego boosts and the hits um, (laughs) to kind of keep going. So... um, yeah, that was a lot easier for me. And then, yeah, I just had to work specifically a little bit more on the other things. It's just taken a lot of years. And, you know, because we have to be good at all of it, you can't just become like great at it 
in one year. It takes mm. years and years to be able to build something without actually sacrificing something else. Mm. So there's a there's a real art to that. You came back into the CrossFit Games in 2017 and they, they were calling you the fittest woman on earth never to podium. Yeah. <laughs> and you came so, so close. Um, and second is what you finished in that CrossFit Games, mm-hmm. which is incredible. I want to go to that last event in what was just an epic finish. It was between yourself and another Aussie, another Queenslander, Tia Claire Toomey. Mm-hmm. You two crossed the finish line within one, one, how many, one hundredths of a second? One, 17? Oh, like you could barely even see a difference, you know, yeah. like it was. You, you couldn't tell from the naked eye who, yep. who yep. had won that event. And then suddenly both of you didn't know how that would pan out on the leaderboard, did you? And there was a big break before the CrossFit, the fittest woman on earth. The CrossFit Games champion was announced. What was that pause and that time like for you going, <laughs> what, what does that mean? Did I come, like, where did I come in the leaderboard? What does this mean? What was it like for you? Yeah, it's so funny. Actually, a lot of people think that I didn't know, but I actually did. So ah. um, Tia didn't know, I think, you know, so it turns out that I got over the line first in that workout. Mm-hmm. And... I think she wasn't sure then how that looked because she was in the lead and if I took it because we were super, super close. I knew. I'd done the math. Um, What (laughs) I didn't know was because I went into that workout in second and all of us girls at the top were very, very close. You know, Mm. there was this handful of us that were like, look, any of us can kind of take it now. We're all really good Um, and it comes down to this workout, which also happened to be like one of my weakest workouts. It was like everything that I'm terrible at in one workout. But um, (laughs) I was like, how's that for a finale? Um, What I didn't know though is because there's multiple heats, right? So I won my heat, but I didn't know what the times were of the other girls in the other heat. So sometimes Mm -hmm. you can have someone in a previous heat who actually beat you. So I knew I needed to beat a certain amount of people to keep my spot as second. I could potentially have one if I beat one of the other girls in my heat. So I knew I hadn't won um, based on just her because she was in my heat. But what I didn't know is if I'd kept my second or if it had booted me off the podium, if there was somebody else who Mm. had done a faster time because I didn't know their time. So I stood there just thinking like, I've come out here with one of my worst workouts. (laughs) I've just let myself black out and go and just like not feel and just put myself on the line was it enough to finally be on the podium? I've got goosebumps thinking about it. (laughs) And, um, you know, this was also going to be the first time to have an Australian winner. So Mm. if Tia, you know, stayed there, it was going to be like an Aussie female on the top of the podium for the first time. It also would have been my first time on the podium at all. And so I think, you know, they, they paused to like make it super dramatic and we're just there waiting. And then, you know, I saw my name come up, you know, they dragged us out there and I knew I hadn't won. They're like, the fittest woman on earth is from Australia. And, you know, he walks (laughs) Tear and myself out there and she doesn't know I do know um, and I'm like oh this is cruel like you know I'm thinking this is so harsh I know I haven't won but I'm gonna come out here they announce tell her. me if I'm on the podium yeah exactly she drops and you know like we're both like emotional um you know I'm like I'm half I wish it was me but I'm also stoked as an Australian mm. you know I realize I've kept my second I'm like just burst into tears because yeah. I'm so elated I can't believe I'm still on the podium and I did enough <laughs> And I had such a tricky year. Mm. My health was compromised. You know, there were times Mm. where I was just not feeling okay. I had to move out of my home. You Mm. know, I, there were days where I just didn't get to train properly. Like it was hectic. And I thought, 
I went into that games thinking I had no expectations because I thought this has been a terrible year. This is not how you do well at the CrossFit Games. Like you can't mm. have inconsistent training and poor health and all of these kind of things from this amount of stress and do well. So I had zero expectations. I get out there. I I just let everything go. I enjoy myself, take everything, one workout, you know, as it comes and I'm on the podium and I just can't believe it. And I'm just like bawling my eyes out and people are like, oh, poor thing. She didn't come first. And I'm like, I am stoked. I'm like, I've been working since, you know, 2012 to get up here and I've nearly been there so many times and I'm finally here. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't care who's won. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm just here. I've got my flag. I'm standing up on this podium and I'm totally stoked. So, um, yeah, everyone's like, oh, I feel so sorry for you. I'm like, don't. Like, don't take this away from me. I am so happy. That's such a good message because I think a lot of the time everyone thinks second is um, like is that is one of the hardest positions, that and fourth, to finish oh. in any race, in any event. But, yeah. But it was like, it was two points. So Tia and I were like, I think it were, we were like the first women to have over a 1,000 points over the games weekend. We were two points apart. So I was mm. two points, which was like a couple of seconds in any workout from being the fittest on earth. So despite the fact that I did not get the same money, I did not get the same recognition for coming first, in my heart, which is all that matters, I was two points away from being the fittest woman on earth. I was the second fittest woman on earth. I got to throw down with the fittest women in the entire world. And there is nothing that could take that away from me. And I think it's really sad for the people who think that, you know, that was unfortunate mm. and that coming second like that, like, oh, you missed out because not for a second did I ever think I missed out mm. because I knew how outstanding it was and I knew how hard I worked for it. Such a good message. Well, in 2018, after the Games, you finished fifth in the Games the, the following <laughs> year, became pregnant with yes. your first child, little little Scotty. Take me through the emotions when you found out that you were pregnant. You know, I finished 2018 and after this big high high of 2017 and like the crazy changes of 2016 and just like being an athlete for years, I went into 2018 physically the best condition I've ever been in. I started with a new coach who was amazing and nurtured me and made me awesome and I went out onto the competition floor and I had like no spark and I didn't realise until I got there and that was, you know, how I ended up not placing higher, not being back mm. on the podium. I was like, I felt fine at the end of the weekend. I just kind of had nothing. People cheered for me, did nothing. My heart wasn't there. I think mm. I was just a bit tired <laughs> um, mm. and... Um, we finished the games and I said to Matt, my husband now, I was like, oh man, I just like, I had no spark. Like, you know me. I went out there and I just didn't have that boost and that like ego drive and just that competitive edge. Mm. And I was like, you know, maybe it's time for me to have a break. I don't know what to do. And we talked about it and we hung out in San Diego. We had a bit of a holiday after the games and he said, look, like, let's just not make a decision. Let's just enjoy some time off for once and en enjoy the fact that you've worked so hard and um, we'll just let it play out and see how we go. And I was like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just, we'll do that and then make a decision later. I've got plenty of time. I'm probably just tired. Mm. We had a holiday in San Diego and spent time at the beach and just being us came home pregnant. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, well, there you, you go. That's at the games. Was that why you didn't have your spark or? No, no, okay. it would have been after the games, but came home and I was like, I feel different. And I think like when we were on holidays too, like as a woman, you just know, like, 
it's like my heart and my head were like, hey, it's probably time to be making babies. Like you're all loved <laughs> up, you know, you're with the love of your life and you're trying to do all this hard work. But like it just sort of felt like where where it, I needed to be. Yeah. And so then when I'm, when we found out, we were like, look, that's just the universe saying this is what's meant to happen right now and we'll mm-hmm. just take it one step at a time as to what happens after that. And we were super stoked. Obviously, it was like super tricky because, you know, I'm a professional athlete. I'm committed to sponsors and and there's a lot of expectation behind like what I should be doing and when. And it's Mm. like this terrible like feeling of like, who am I disappointing when I'm actually like really happy and doing something amazing? Like I shouldn't Mm. feel that. Did you feel that? That you were? I did. Yeah, I I was, I've never been so scared as like calling my sponsors to tell them, you know, like I call them all individually to tell them, you know, what was happening and said, like, let's have this conversation. And, you know, obviously the the person that you signed came as a certain way and now that's changed and like, let's talk. Mm. And, you know, I obviously respect you guys and your company, um, but I also sort of like respect who I am and my value and all those type of things. But it was really hard. I didn't know what to do with it because I'm like, I feel great. I'm stoked. This is amazing. Mm. I'm loved up. I'm having a baby. This is cool. But then at the same time, it's, you know, everything that I, my job and everything I've known, my livelihood Mm. is being a professional athlete. Yeah, so that was... supportive? Did they... I'm thinking that would be, yeah, right. A greater marketing kind of... um, boost for them would be the fact that, you know, the fittest, one of the fittest women's women on earth is now pregnant and now she's a super mum. I like for me, I'm like, makes you an even bigger star in my eyes, but not, was the community ready for that? Look, the community was like brands are brands, you know, they have their own mission and, um, you know, some were great. I don't, look, I don't think when you sign a professional athlete to perform and to do all of those things, I don't think anyone's like stoked to then have them turn around and be like, I'm pregnant. I had like majority of my sponsors are like super supportive and are still with me to this day um, and have supported me through everything and been there. Some not so much. Mm. Um, That's you know, disappointing. That- it is. And it's like, you know, I th- I thought the same thing too. I was like, look, this is like really valuable too. Like I'm Mm. still the same person. This doesn't take away from what I've done. And, you know, it's super normal. It is really, (laughs) really normal for people to have babies. Like what is not normal is to achieve what we achieved in sport, you know, like that's exceptional. Um, The way that Mm. like female athletes and, you know, and male athletes as well, but the way that people like humans have developed over time um, to be able to be capable of these things, like that's you know, outstanding, exceptional, and it's the minority. Having children is super normal Mm, and it is the hardest job in the world. You know, it's harder than any workout I've ever done. Also more rewarding than any workout I've ever done, but the hardest thing ever. Because you trained throughout your pregnancy, but did you have realistic expectations of what your pregnancy would be like and being able to do that? Yeah, totally. Look, um, I had a great pregnancy. I was super lucky, but I was really tired a lot. Um, and trying to run my business, I think had a lot to do with, I was Mm. on my feet a lot. Um, but training actually helped me so much. It took away ailments. It helped me sleep. It just made me feel good. And so I just did what I could along the way. And if I couldn't, I didn't do it. Mm. And I just listened to my body. I think I'd been a competitive athlete for long enough that I knew the value of training. I also had been doing it long enough that I was pretty stoked to just slow down a little and not have to train and not have to be there and Mm. do it for the right reasons. 
and I trained so long as it felt good and I scaled things back, um, obviously, as they needed to with education I was given and how I felt. And then one day I walked into the gym, you know, I would have been about 40 weeks. Um, I went a week over and I walked into the gym and I was, at that point I was just doing like really light, like accessory work, you know, with like a light kettlebell and not mm. even kind of getting sweaty. I walked in, I did one little round of these accessories and I looked at my husband and said, I'm done. That's <laughs> me done now. I'm, I'm, I don't, it, this doesn't feel good for me anymore. Mm. My body doesn't like it. I did like two walks and a week later the you know, Scotty came. So that was my body going, look, you need to chill. You need to rest now. Mm. It's time. Get ready. Because once this happens, you never go back. Did you find that there was much information and much research about recovery from pregnancy for elite athletes? No, um, not mm. specifically for elite athletes. The only real information that I could find was just talking to people, talking to people who had recovered before, um, whether it be as an elite athlete or not, and then just sort of connecting the dots as to like what could be a factor having been an elite athlete and then just sort of playing it by ear. I was lucky that my body had been conditioned to be broken down and built back up pretty quickly because I'd been an athlete for a lot of time. So my recovery was amazing. We left the hospital 24, I had to stay in for 24 hours. And on the 24th hour, I was like, I want to go home. Walked out, went home. We went out the next day, got coffee. I was out, like mm. just walking around, totally fine. Obviously, you know, still, you know, sore and all the things that come with that, but I was good. I just searched the web as much as I could and social media and landed on someone who did postpartum exercise, um, like actually prenatal um, and postpartum exercises that I found on Instagram who I absolutely loved. I connected with uh, her work. I loved her attitude and her energy and I did her work and then just added some things in based off how I felt along the way. Um, did it feel like you were starting from zero? It didn't at the start. At the start, I was like on top of the world. You know, you're full of happy hormones. Mm. That oxytocin is amazing. And then, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you're all loved up. I'm at home with my husband, this little baby who I'm like super proud of and want to show off. And I was like, I can do anything. Um, <laughs> after that, once the sleep deprivation kicks in and the hormones <laughs> drop down a level, like, so I literally, I started going up and then kind of went back down again. And I was like, oh, this process is not linear. You know, like I don't just keep getting better and it's like on the road up there's like a few dips in here mm. um and I think at about the four month mark uh I kind of went down a little bit I lost a lot of strength um just from like lack of sleep and obviously hormones at the six month mark I went down again and then I sort of slowly started to build back up again so yeah when did you start I started so I started my breath work pretty much a, a week after maybe not even a week mm-hmm. uh I would just when Scotty would sleep, I would just do some like breathing exercises, stuff to try and just repair mm-hmm. my my center. You know, obviously you always have like an element of ab separation. Mine was like super modest, which was good. I worked really hard to not get that, but I did breath work to bring that together to help restore the pelvic floor and just to kind of meditate and heal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was back in the gym, I think at three weeks, three weeks postpartum. When I say back at the gym, my husband worked out and I sat on a bike really low Mm -hmm. for 20 minutes slow with my baby strapped on my chest and just using my legs only. I got a dewy glow kind of sweat of barely nothing. It was like going for a brisk walk, but walking Mm -hmm. didn't feel good for me. And I did that for a couple of weeks. And then I just slowly started building in some um, like postural accessories, Uh, obviously sitting, feeding a baby and nonstop kind of does bad things to your shoulders. And I needed to 
be able to sit upright and do all mm. of those kind of things. So I had to rebuild those things from scratch. They kind of got quite bad before they got better. But consistency is the most valuable thing. And I just sort of took it as it as it came. It was quite a while, to be honest, before I did any kind of like workout, mm. uh, longer than most. So most people are back in the gym six to eight weeks postpartum um, doing a workout. I didn't do any kind of workout, I would say, until at least 12. And before that, everything was just slow movement. Yeah. Um, just reactivating muscles, teaching them how to be back on again because the hormones kind of shut everything down a mm. little bit and sleep deprivation and lack of growth hormone and all those kind of things just do things to your body that you can't control. Um, Scotty's now a year old. Happy birthday yes. to Scotty. Um, <laughs> but you've now qualified within that year. You've qualified for the CrossFit Games 2020. Obviously now COVID's hit. So what's mm-hmm. what's next for Cara? At the moment, we don't know. They're talking about that um, they're still going ahead. The CrossFit Games are meant to be held on the, I think it's the 27th of July. So it's sort of the end of July, start of August. It's meant to be in Madison, Wisconsin. That was cancelled. The, I don't know, I think he's a director of CrossFit Games, but the fellow who pretty much runs the CrossFit Games mm. has a ranch in California and he's said that they will go ahead with the CrossFit Games on a much smaller scale with no spectators, mm. um, much less athletes, um, so a more exclusive field on the same dates. But obviously within that, I need to be able to leave the country. Uh, I need to know what it looks like on the other side. I have mm. to consider the fact that I'm still nursing my daughter, so I'm I'm super torn. At the moment, mm. I'm like, okay, I'm just prepping to go, but do I need to quarantine on the other side? Do I need to quarantine when I come back? Can I even leave the country? Is it even responsible to do so with a one-year-old? I'm very conflicted at the moment. And so I'm just sitting around waiting for more information to come in and just training really hard to be ready if I need to be ready. But I would love to go. I worked worked so hard and I really, really earned my spot. Um, You know, I qualified through that first stage by five and a half months postpartum and then I even earned another ticket by winning an event in March. So, like, I deserve to be there. I would love to go and showcase how hard I've worked. But, like every mother will say, your children have to come first. Mm. So um, we'll wait and see. We finish off every podcast by asking you what advice you would give your 10-year-old self. I think the the single piece of advice that I would give 10-year-old Cara is don't worry about what other people say Mm. or think. What I have since learned is to hear it and acknowledge it. Don't ignore people. Don't push back. Don't be defiant. Uh, That doesn't do good things either. That doesn't go anywhere positive. And I don't think that there's any need for that. And it's okay for people to have their own opinion and their own views. But I think it is most important to make your decisions based off the information that you've been given and then how your heart and your head and your gut feel um, and to not worry and feel judged or anything by that decision because in the end, if you make a mistake, it's only a mistake and most things can be fixed and that's how you learn and that's how you move forward. So, yeah, I would I would tell her just to not, not worry so much and, and, and trust trust in yourself. You're a superwoman, but you're a super mum, and we love you very much. Thank you so much, Cara, for coming on on her game. Thank you. On her game was presented by me, Sam Squires. 
and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search on Her Game Podcast. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.